You should not even need to turn to it. I hope that everyone knows it and will always know it. One of the shorter verses in the Bible. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This morning, we looked at three different ways in which we can live for Christ. One is in our marriage, one is in our families, and one is with each other here in this assembly. By loving our spouses, by training our children, and by loving our brethren, we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. He did those three things. By doing those three things, we also show Jesus Christ by our good works to all men. For to me, to live is Christ. I want to look at several other things tonight, and I'm not going to be very long, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. I want you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, Jesus Christ is the central figure of this entire universe. He is all that God wishes to reveal to any creature. He is all that God wants to be worshipped through and by and whom and and for. It's all in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wrapped up in Him. And so wherever we go in the New Testament, which is the New Covenant, of the Son of God, we're going to see Jesus Christ being the central theme and figure. And for us to truly live for Him, it's going to be to live the whole New Testament. And when we think about it, and when we list it in an outline, it looks overwhelming. But He said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because if it starts off, it starts off with the choice that I want to seek and love Jesus Christ above all else, everything else becomes quite easy. If you try to make a great marriage in the flesh, best wishes. Because all it is is a wish. You need to do it through the Lord. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So I I want to look at a few more things tonight that are involved in living for Christ. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. And we have there a word that I want you to remember because it fits so well with what he did for us. We want to start at verse 5. And the first word we have there is mortify, which is a verb. And it's an imperative verb construction telling you what you ought to do with a list of things he's about to give. And the, the verb mortify is to put to death. A mortician is someone who plays with dead bodies or works with dead bodies. A mortuary is a place where there are dead bodies. To mortify something is to put it to death. So let us read. Mortify, put to death, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, 
But Christ is all and in all. It all comes back to Christ being in all. And one of the things we must do is mortify, put to death the members of our flesh. And the, the strongest appeal that the Bible has is this. I was crucified for your sins, Jesus would say. I was put to death for your sins. Therefore, doesn't it seem reasonable for you to put those same sins to death? And that is the appeal made over and over again. Baptists in our generation take the, their, our ordinance of immersion so lightly. But the picture of baptism is the death and the burial of our sins. So that we walk to, in a new life. To live a holy life before God. And it's all related to the fact that He died for our sins and He asks us to die to them. Look at Romans 6, the great baptism passage. I don't want to spend long on any one point tonight, but I want you to see that we must mortify our flesh to serve Jesus Christ because He is all and He is in all. That's pretty inclusive. When you are all and you are in all. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And so how do we serve Him? We put to death those things that I listed, which I don't have time to define for you, which I hope you understand, are what makes America great in the year 2001. They're everywhere. Those sins. I speak as a fool when I say it makes America great. But they're everywhere. We're entertained by them. So I come to Romans 6. What shall we say then? Verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now what made you dead to sin? Jesus Christ died for your sins. That made you dead to sin. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? And there is your practical recognition of that death. When you were baptized... I buried you. I buried you. All of you. You the last one? I buried you. I buried you to walk in a new life. Because we are burying all those sins that you're putting to death. And you can go on and read here for a number of verses. Verse 7, For he that is dead is freed from sin. We're not altogether freed from it yet, but we ought to be freed from it. The purpose of Jesus dying... And our baptism is to be freed from sin. And if we truly meant our baptism, we were saying, there goes my old man. He is buried. And the man that's coming out of that water is a different one. And he's going to walk in a different life. Look at Galatians. We could go on there in Romans 6 for several verses. At least the first 11 are all saying the same thing. Paul's appeal to this point is frequent in the epistles. Galatians chapter 2. I've heard that this is a favorite verse of someone. I am crucified with Christ. Now we could stop right there, and that, that should be a lot. Right in that clause, I am crucified with Christ. What was crucified with Him? What was the death on the cross for? Sin. It was putting to death Sin. It was the payment for sin. I am crucified with Christ. My sins are dead. They're over with. 
Because I am, I was crucified with him. I am crucified with him. And I'm going to live as if he's put away and paid for my sins. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to tell you tonight that any one of you are here that truly love the Lord Jesus Christ, you're living by the faith of the Son of God. Because if it wasn't for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ on your behalf and within you at this very time, you would not be able to live for Him. It's by His grace. And when we say the faith of Jesus Christ, we believe just what the King James Bible tells us, that Jesus Christ had great faith. And before we come to this tonight, I want to make you think about His faith a little bit before we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper. But that's the life we live. We're crucified. We've put to death our sins. Same book, chapter 5, verse 24. 524. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. We've been crucified. It's not just a section in a systematic theology about Jesus dying on the cross. It's a real experiential thing with us. He died for us. The message comes to us and tells us that. We hear that. We believe that He died for us. We believe that our sins were on that cross. And we want to live like it. And so if we're Christ, this verse tells us, we crucify the flesh. We put to death our affections and lusts that are contrary to the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 6 and verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Translated simply for you, we're dead to each other. How much do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? What I'm talking about right now is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We must crucify ourselves with Him. He died for our sins. He would like to see some effort on our part to die to those sins. The effort we put on our part to match up with His crucifixion by putting to death those sins in our lives, He will come to us because He sees us honoring His crucifixion. When you don't do that, the Bible says you are acting like a man who's forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You just keep right on doing it. They're no longer old sins to you. They're fresh and new sins because you keep right on committing them. May God have mercy on us to put them all to death. Put them all to death. You say, can we do it this side of heaven? No, but we're not going to worry about that. When I see that some of you are tending toward perfectionism in doctrine and practice, then I'll correct you. Until that time, let's press toward perfection by crucifying the flesh with all of its affections and lusts, putting it to death. Jesus would say, Do you love me enough, and do you love righteousness enough to cut off your right hand and pluck out your right eye? That is how you get a close relationship with him. I can't stop and elaborate by illustrations every point I make, but when you love someone, you would do anything for them. When you love someone dearly, if they say, I wish you would give that up, there it goes. Jesus Christ has loved us and died for us. 
We say we love him. I think I just heard a song sung in my hearing. I wasn't able to sing very much with you tonight, but I think I heard, oh, how I love Jesus. And that wasn't enough for you. You said again, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Three times. And I'm not mad at you, brethren. We just, I just heard those words, and I know that there's a holy God listening. Amen. And if we mean those words, do you know what we'll do? We'll be able to give up some things for Him. Right. Easily. Easily. Right. Easily. Put them down. Crucify them. Kill them. Put them to death. And throw them out of our lives. Jesus would say, or the Apostle Paul would say about Jesus in Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ... And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That is seeking Jesus Christ. Not even giving yourself a chance. A wise man knows how weak his flesh is, and because of that he will not even make a provision for it. Romans 13, 14, you young people, don't go anywhere where they're sinning. Don't read anything where they're sinning. Don't watch anything where they're sinning. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. But instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how it all goes together? We can't escape it. If if we're going to live for Jesus Christ and be Christians, we have to put to death the flesh and not even make an opportunity for it. If you allow an opportunity into your house, and you know I use that television as an example, because it's an opportunity that's always there. All it takes is push the on button. And it comes roaring at you like a lion. Wow. It does, doesn't it? That makes a provision for the flesh. If we're going to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to look like we're crucified. What's died in your life? What have you put to death? And I'm going to tell you, there are secret sins and there are favorite sins for all of us. Some are external, some are internal, some are commission, some are omission. They vary all over the map from pride to drunkenness. Are you putting them to death? There is no way that we'll ever have a relationship with Jesus Christ unless we're crucifying ourselves for Him. He was crucified for us. What a simple task for us to do it for Him. I want you to turn now to John chapter 14. Seeking Jesus Christ, the point I just made, is to mortify the flesh and to be crucified with Him. Oh, I read you some good verses. I am crucified with Christ. What a goal for a life. I am crucified with Christ. That means there are things dead in my life for Him. Isn't that beautiful? He died for us. Here's a new point that I want to make in our pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we want to seek Him. We crave Him. As the heart pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul, O God, for Thee. So here's another point we want to find. And it's in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Just quickly, I'm going to mention that keeping Christ's commandments... Now the ones, what I was just talking about is killing things. Your flesh thinks it has commandments. I need this. I want this. And so we put those to death by mortifying our flesh. But then Jesus Christ replaces those with other commandments, some of which we've already looked at. How you treat your spouse, how you treat your employer, how you treat your neighbor, how you treat fellow church members. But these commandments, the point I want to make here and go on, 
is that the commandments of Jesus Christ are not a great burden. When we've made the first choice, Jesus Christ is all and in all. All of a sudden, His commandments are not grievous. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. If you love me, keep my commandments. I wasn't mocking you, brethren, when I quoted that song to you. It's number 10 in our hymnals. But when we say, oh, how I love Jesus, you're saying, oh, how I love Jesus, that I love him very much. If you love him very much, you know what the simple corollary to that is? Or the, re- the action, the result? Keep his commandments. Right, and you know what will happen if you keep his commandments? Just slide down a few verses to verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Show me what great lovers you are for Jesus Christ by keeping his commandments. Let us show him what great lovers we are by keeping his commandments. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Unless you're in the Spirit of God, you don't even understand what I just read because it's too good to be true. How in the world can that be true? That the great God would say, I will love Him, my Son will love Him, and we'll both come and stay with you. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love Him and will manifest myself to Him. Isn't that our goal right there in that verse? That we want Jesus Christ manifested to us? Well, if we love Him, let's keep His commandments. And if we show our love that way, He will love us. Judas saith unto him, not the Iscariot, verse 22, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Amen. Your abode is where you live. Amen. God will live with us. It's, it's, I know. Go on to the next point. It's too much. God will live with us if we'll keep His commandments. And why do we keep His commandments? Because we should love Him. Why should we love Him? Because He first loved us. That's what you sang tonight. Now, I know the doctrinal truth of that chorus. The only reason we do love Him is because He loved us. But do you love Him because He loved us? And He'll come and abide with us. Those verses are incredible. It's exactly what I'm praying for this assembly. Jesus Christ will manifest Himself to us. And brethren, there aren't any plural pronouns in there. It's an individual relationship with God. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. And because there's no male nor female in Jesus Christ, that applies to you women also. One by one, every one of you can have a relationship with God where Jesus Christ will come to you. And his Father will come with him. They'll both love you, and they will abide with you forever by keeping his commandments. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 again. Colossians chapter 3. For to me to live is Christ, 
To truly live for Christ, we need to make a choice about our affections. And this text tells us what to do with them. Love is a choice. Lust is a feeling. Love is a choice. That's why it's a commandment. If it was just something that happened willy-nilly by fate or by Cupid or by direct intervention of God, then it wouldn't have been given to us as a commandment. God would have said, when you need it, I'll do it. But he tells us to do it toward one another because it's a commandment. Love's a choice. It's not an accident. It's not a force. It's not a feeling. It's a choice that you will treat and serve someone in a certain way. Now, the motive for love's already been given. And it's infinite. It's incomprehensible. He died for us. He chose us out of this sinful race that deserves to be damned. He chose us and He died for us. And has given us an everlasting consolation of eternal reward. We should be able to love Him in return. But we're commanded to do so. And it's a choice of rearranging our affections. Now, we've already been to this passage tonight. We read verses 5 through 11 where we're putting certain things to death. But there's another part to that equation, and it's in the first four verses. It says in verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ. Now, all of you believe that you're risen with Christ. And I know that because you've all been baptized. If I go back a few verses in Colossians chapter 2, it will say in verse 12, Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him. So I've got you. All those of you that are baptized are already declaring that you are risen with Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Do you see these words? If we're really seeking Christ, we want to be where He is. If we're really seeking Christ, the things that are important in our life should be the things that are important to Him. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We want those spiritual things to be the most important things to us as they are to Him. Set your affection. I wish everyone could understand those three words. Set your affection. Affection is not some willy-nilly force in the universe that just plops in your lap once in a while. We said it. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And here we have the words, set your affection. You can take your affections and set them in a certain direction. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. This is so key to what we're talking about here. It's so key to what we're studying, pursuing Jesus Christ. Every day you have to make a choice I do not like big houses. I like my house in heaven. I do not like fancy cars. I like the chariot that will take me to heaven. I do not like, I like. All day long we've got to say that. I don't like this. I don't like this. You advertisers are lying to me. I don't like this. I don't need that. I don't want that. I like this. No, I love this, and I want this, and I need this. All day long we've got to do that. All day long. But if you've set Christ first, 
and you're seeking Him and you see what He's done for you, and your love for Him is growing because you're praying for it to grow, and it is growing, all of a sudden, this becomes easy and a pleasure to count all things but loss. Paul did it the best. He said everything was lost and dung. He didn't like any of it. All he saw was Christ. And that's what we want to be. Is like the Apostle Paul. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Our affections naturally want to run to things on the earth. Marriage, family, education, car, houses, job, money, power, status, whatever, pleasure. It runs to that automatically. And we're to take those affections, get them back under our control, and redirect them. And say all of that is trash. Set your affection. And if you have set your heart to seek the Lord, He's going to give you the strength to do this easily. You are you can do this easily. This is not a a struggle that's going to take you five years to make any progress in it. You can make progress right now by making a choice before the great God that you do love Him and His Son, Jesus Christ, and you're going to set your affections toward Him. Do it! I'm your friend. I'm your pastor. I love you. Do it! For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We don't have any life here. We're crucified to the world. Didn't we read that elsewhere? And the world's crucified to us? We're dead. We don't have any life here. Where is our life? It's hid. Where is it? In Christ. In God. It's hid with Christ in God. That's where your life is. That is living for Christ. It's to know that your life is with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I think that is a worthwhile trade. To give up a few of the vain things of this life, to have him appear one of these days and show us what he's got for us. I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You can't tell me about it, and I can't tell you about it. There's something you can't ask me to preach on. And that's what Jesus Christ has for those that love him. Because eye hasn't seen it and ear hasn't heard it. But he's got it prepared for us. Paul couldn't even talk about it and he went and saw it for a few minutes, hours, or days. He saw an unspeakable glory in heaven. He was given a thorn in the flesh so he wouldn't talk about it. And he wouldn't be puffed up by it. But that's what's waiting for us. This is your life. These verses here, I just love these four verses here. I want to take them, turn them around, hold them up to the light, I want to say them to you several times. I want you to see that what we're pursuing, a life that is Christ-centered, is found right here. If we're risen by what Christ has done for us, then we ought to set our affections in heaven because we're dead to this world. But Christ, who is our life, is coming. And He's going to give us a reward for that trade. He doesn't even need to give us a reward. We owe Him everything. If he never gave us anything, we should love him still as much. But he's going to bless us abundantly. Jesus would say when he was on earth, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves do break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where there are no moths, nor rust, nor thieves, 
Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where are you making your investments? What is the object of your life? Where are you laying up your investments? Every time that we, you hear this and you hear it with understanding, you purpose in your heart, I'm gonna, I want to seek you, Lord. Every prayer you make, every service that you provide to a brother, every time you love your spouse in the name of Jesus Christ, you're laying up treasure in heaven. I want to tell you something. There is no FDIC in heaven. And there's no depression and no one ever loses their deposits. And interest is paid. And it's paid infinitely. Amen. And we don't even deserve it. But it is paid. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. God is rich, brethren. And he's going to reward. If we will make the easy sacrifice. Isn't it called our reasonable service? Yes. Right. Our living sacrifice? Turn to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. If we're truly seeking Jesus Christ and we've made our lives Christ-centered, we're going to be content. You'll be content with your house, your body, your spouse, your children. Oh, not if, God, not if Jesus Christ has told you that certain things are necessary. You'll work on those. But everything else you're going to be rather content with. Why? Why? Because you've made Jesus Christ your all in all. Because the rest of this verse goes on to say, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Right. True contentment <clears throat> results from a person making Christ the center of their life. Right. If you are seeking Jesus Christ in the way that I have described, how the Bible shows us that we can seek him, you will reach a place of contentment. It will not matter where Paul would say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You can learn to be content in any situation in this life circumstances because he has said, who is the, this pronoun is referring to whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And if he's there, what else do we need? Who else do we need? He is my portion forever. Praise his holy name. Right. Do you know what we say to him when we get all distraught over some little event in our lives where something or someone leaves us? Yep. We're saying that thing is more important than him or that person is more important than him. Contentment comes from remembering that Jesus Christ is ours and he's with us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. All, all difficult human relations, and there are some sitting in here tonight, well, we all have disappointments in human relations. But brethren, Jesus Christ is our relation. He's our brother, and he'll never leave us. He's our father. He'll never forsake us. He's our savior. He'll be with us forever. We should be content. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I only want to take a few more minutes. The rest of this will be available in an outline. I've covered the main points. There's others I want you to see. For those of you that are serious about just considering pursuing Christ with your whole heart, I hope it's all of us. 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If we could ever get that into our souls, that would save us so much grief. The things that you cannot see are far more important than the things you can see. If you can see it, it's vanity. If you hear it from me and you can't see it, it's eternal. And set your interest and your affection, your time toward those invisible things where Christ sits at the right hand of God. It's a simple little rule, and the apostle gives it to us right here. Our whole society is based on what they can show you. Don't you want to see it? Isn't that what they say? Come here, I want you, I want to show it to you. You go to a used car lot, come here, buddy. Let me show you this one I've got back here. You turn the television on. Look at what we have for you. Multi-level marketing. Let me come in or come to our party. We have something to show you. All of its vanity. Right. We need to be, we need to elevate our thoughts above that to things that are invisible and that are eternal. Amen. Not those things that are seen. That's part of seeking Christ because Jesus Christ is now in heaven, not on earth. He is in heaven and his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom that does not come with observation. You can't see it. To believe that this is a chapter meeting of his kingdom is impossible to the flesh. Impossible. I believe it. I believe the Son of Man, clothed the way that you can see him described in Revelation chapter 1, is in here right now. And if I knew which section of space was holding him, I wouldn't be in this pulpit. And I hope that some of you would be pulling me away Amen. so that you are jumping on top of me to get at him. I hope that we love him that much, and I don't speak lightly or foolishly, Amen. but he's here, the Son of Man. We can't see him, though. And so the flesh balks at that. The flesh says, no way. Well, you just need to go down to a mortuary then so you can see some dead bodies and ask what they took with them. Because everything that you can see is still there. Right. You know, they're taking the jewelry off the fingers, and they're taking it off the neck, and they're ripping it out of their mouth if it's so requested, or whatever. Anything of value is still there, and they're gone. They've just left everything they ever saw. The car's out there. It's not going to run again unless someone else takes it. Amen. Oh, we have better hope than that. Oh, we have glorious hope. There's a whole other world going on right now. And they're in here right now. I don't know if angels say amen to worldly preachers or not, but I hope there's angels smiling around. Listen, they're in here. And if you don't believe that, you're missing out on Christianity. Jesus Christ is head over principalities and powers. His angels are your servants. They are sent to minister to you. They will take care of you. If you are seeking Christ, you have a servant force that's incredible. Amen. But it's invisible. So one of the things of seeking Christ is to change your mindset. Right. If you can see it, dislike it. On a relative basis with what you can't see. And those things that you can't see, like what I'm talking about, go home and read the Bible until you believe them fully, that there are angels. They're here, brethren. If you were to open our eyes, we'd see a lot of fire and a lot of glory. And you'd fall down as if you were seeing God himself. Because in comparison to one of us, they look 
They look like God. But they would quickly grab you up and say, we're just your fellow servants. Can you serve two masters and serve Christ? No No man can serve two masters. Matthew 6.24 Christians are all or nothing people. Can't be in between. No man can serve two masters. We need to be strangers here, brethren. Strangers and pilgrims in the earth. We're not part of this world. I just said that about Christ's kingdom. Though we might be thankful for our president because God tells us to be, though we might pray for our attorney general because God tells us to, we're not part of this nation. They can pledge allegiance to the flag all they want to. My allegiance is in heaven. If you want to pledge allegiance to the flag and mean that in a national way, that's fine. My allegiance is in heaven. I'm a citizen of a different kingdom than this world. I'm thankful for this nation, and I would do what I could for it, but it's not my pride and joy. My pride and joy is in heaven. Brethren, have a serving attitude. Jesus Christ came to to minister, not to be ministered unto. And for us to be like Jesus Christ, we need to learn to minister to one another. That's to serve one another. When, when Jesus said to Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. What did Jesus ask him to do to prove it? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Serving one another is the proof of great love. Amen. So if we're loving Jesus Christ and seeking him, we'll be willing to serve one another. Brother, my last point that I want to give you tonight, and you'll have to look for the rest of this. I want to go on to some other subjects, the Lord willing, next Sunday. You should be sharing this with others. If you truly love Jesus Christ and are living for him, Paul couldn't shut up. Paul couldn't stop talking. Everywhere he went, he wanted to be talking about Jesus Christ. I, I said some things, I think, last Sunday. You don't read about any of his leisure activities, do you? He was always pursuing Jesus Christ and always talking about him. When I find him in the innermost prison with his feet in stocks, I find him singing praises to God. When the Gadarene in Mark chapter 1 and verse 44 was, was delivered from all those, that legion of devils that was in him, he besought the Lord that he might go with him. And Jesus said, no, stay here. And tell what great things God hath done for you. And if you go read the Bible account, he went and published it abroad so that the knowledge of Jesus Christ went everywhere because that man wanted to talk about the great things that Jesus Christ had done for him. How did Peter ever meet Jesus Christ according to John chapter 1? Andrew met, P- Andrew met Jesus first and went and got his brother Simon Peter and brought him to Jesus. How did Nathaniel meet Jesus Christ? Philip went and got Nathaniel and brought him to meet Jesus Christ. How did the people of Samaria come out to Jacob's well to meet Jesus Christ in John chapter 4? A woman went back into that city and said, Come and see! A man that told me everything I ever did! Is not this the Christ? Where is that excitement in our lives? We should be wanting to get together and sing His praise and talk about Him who loved us and gave Himself for us and who is in heaven and coming for us soon. May Jesus Christ be praised that we might live for Him. Brethren, 
I exhort you to seek Him with your whole heart, to pray for Him to give you the strength and to draw nigh to you as you draw nigh to Him. And to remember some of these points. These points are not as important as the first choice. Jesus Christ is worthy of all I am and all I have. And here, Lord, I lay it out before you. You are the portion of my life forever and the desire of my heart. Amen. Amen. Amen.